Hey guys, Justin here with Passion Youth Podcast. Tonight at Engage 2018, our dear friend, Pastor Josh Payne, shares a sermon called The Tale of Two Tables. He shares with us the importance of giving our attention and affection to God instead of this world and choosing to sit at the King's table. Does anybody love the Word of the Lord? Now, this is my third year in a row, and I told them I only come back for the free T-shirts. For real, you guys have the best T-shirts in the world. We're trying to get on that level over at our church, but they are off the charts. I got one right now. My wife got two T-shirts uh, for me speaking tonight, and I only got one. Now, somebody please explain how that is. She has done nothing tonight but show up. Matter of fact, I said, babe, will you drive me so I can look over my notes before we get there? And she was like, nah, you could drive. Like, I got to preach. You know what I'm saying? Help me out. And she didn't do anything, but she got two shirts, and I got one. But it's okay. God's good. There's no bitterness. Or... But tonight, I want to turn your attention to the book of Genesis chapter 25. And I really believe that God is getting ready to help us. I do want to deal with something. I do want to deal with something tonight that I believe has caused more young people to for forfeit their God-given destinies than anything else. And it's simply the focus of our appetites and desires. Everybody knows there's an internal tension that we carry because we all want more in life. We want more money. One day you want to be married, have kids. You want, we, want, we just want more in life. We want more. We want new shoes. We want the new pair of LeBrons. Or, 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 or to all the ladies, you want to go shopping, buy more clothes. We all want more. Is anybody ever satisfied? Anybody? No, because your mom and daddy's broke because you want more. And then when you get older, you still want more. You just got a little bit more money than, than you have right now because all y'all ain't got no money right now. Anybody got a side job? Any teenager? How much they pay y'all? Three fifty an hour? <laughs> it don't get no better when you get older. I promise. Well, we all want more, so there's desires and appetites that we've got to deal with. So we've got to make a smart choice and choose the right table that we sit at daily. Because if we choose the wrong table, it don't matter how anointed God wants us to be. If, we, if we're satisfying our appetites and desires with the wrong things, we'll forfeit God-given destinies and never become who Christ wants us to be. So this is what we're going to do. Isaac and Rebecca, they have twins. These two, this couple in the Bible, these two people, they have twins. Anybody a twin in the house? No twins? What? Where's your twin at? Stand up. If you're a twin, stand up. All the twins stand up. Oh. Look at, look, I think we'd have no twins in the house. I, I'm a twin. Where you at, Justin? Me and Justin, twin, identical. He's the Green Lantern, and I'm Captain America. So they have two, they have two children. The, the first one, Esau, he's born, and he's, he's, he's hairy, and he's red all over, and they called him Esau, and then a second child is born, and when, when he's born, he's holding on to Esau's heel. They called him Jacob. Now, this is the key you've got to understand. The firstborn gets the birthright, gets the power, gets double the inheritance, gets, gets all these privileges, so the firstborn is important. So Jacob, he's second. Esau is first. Everybody say Esau's first. So the boys grow up. Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field, and Isaac loved him. Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents, and Rebekah loved him. Jacob was a mama's boy. Now, I'm a mama's boy. I, I'm not ashamed to admit it. Anybody else mama boys in the house? Oh, boy. Well, I'll tell you what. 
So there's this rivalry going on between these, these twins. Esau's got the birthright. Jacob wants the birthright. So we pick it up, verse 29. And Jacob sawed pottage. I don't know what sodden pottage is, but he was cooking pottage. And Esau came from the field, and he was faint. And Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with the same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. And Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, Behold, I'm at the point to die, and what profit shall this birthright do to me? And Jacob said, Swear to me this day. And he swore unto him, and he sold his birthright unto his younger brother. Now who sells a birthright for a bowl of red beans? Now I've had some good red beans, but I'm not selling my God-given destiny for a bowl of red beans. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils, and he did eat and drink, and he rose up, and he went his way. Thus Esau, Esau despised, everybody say despised, his birthright. He didn't even like Jesus no more. He didn't like Pastor Josh. He didn't want to go to church. Eagle Heights was his enemy. Everything that Jesus Christ or God was for, Esau was against, all because of a bowl of red pottage. So I'm going to talk to you on this topic. Just for a little while, three hours, we'll be out of here. <laughs> Somebody's like, my attention span is not that long. This topic, the tale of two tables. Now, according to the National Geographic, a group's culture defines its way of life, its view of itself, and its perspective of other groups. Culture shapes our ideas, customs, and social behaviors. For example, I am from Louisiana, and I'm proud of it. So the way I view music, food, clothing, language, architecture, art, literature, and sports are through the lens of Louisiana culture, one that is unique and rich with tradition. I read one quote that said Louisiana shouldn't even qualify as the South because when you come here, you enter a whole nother world altogether. We don't have counties. We have parishes. We call creeks bayous. And in Louisiana, you could, if you steal an alligator, it could land a person in jail for up to 10 years for stealing an alligator. Now, you could steal somebody's vehicle, only get five, but if you steal an alligator, you're going to get 10. How you steal an alligator? <laughs> this was <laughs> Wikipedia is true. I'm telling you, everything on Wikipedia is true. <laughs> if you visit there in Mardi Gras, anybody ever been to Mardi Gras? Don't go. It's not the devil. I'm just playing. If you visit there in Mardi Gras, you'll see costume riders parade through the streets from New Orleans and Baton Rouge to home of Lafayette, Lake Charles, Shreveport, and beyond. You can touch history with a tour of a plantation where the daily activities of the past are recreated or let nature's mysteries inspire you via a boat tour through a cypress studded by you. Here in Louisiana, history doesn't merely live in books on a shelf. They're reflected in our everyday lives. I looked up a cultural guide and expressions you should learn before you travel to Louisiana. This is what it said. When you ask for a Coke, we ask what kind? Because the word Coke covers every category of carbonated beverages. We don't say soda and we don't say pop. We say give me a Coke or a cold drink. Not cold drink, cold drink. It's not a sub or a hoagie. It's a po' boy. And in Louisiana, you can order it dressed with everything on it. We use north and south when giving directions, not east and west, just north and south. How about this? Go Tigers and who dat are our game day chants. Any Roll Tide fans? That's what I thought, boy. You in Louisiana. 
Folks up north call them sneakers or tennis shoes, but in Louisiana, they're tennis shoes. That's all they are. When asked if we're going to do something, I reply, I'm fixing to. I'm fixing to do it. When asked how we're doing, instead of saying good or it's all good, we say, we all right. I'm helping somebody in the Holy Ghost. You don't even know right now. Instead of how's your mother and your family in Louisiana, we say, how's your mom and them? How's your mom and them? The word yet is used for common dialect in Louisiana. Where yet? It's not really a word, but we use it. Where yet? It's, it's a greeting and slang for where are you at? And what it really means is how are you? Louisiana's culture is different, and people come from all over the world to experience this diversity. But what sets Louisiana apart? It makes our culture special is our food. In Louisiana, you can learn what it means to live to eat instead of eating to live. We've got something called crawfish et tu. Boiled crawfish. Well, I thought I was in Louisiana right now. I said boiled crawfish. If I don't get an amen the rest of the night, I should get one on boiled crawfish right now. Boudin. I should have threw some cracklings in there, but I didn't have time to put cracklings in there. Seafood gumbo. Jambalaya, or some people call it jambalaya, with a U, jambalaya. Red beans and rice. Sauce picante. What about this? Here we go. Beignets. You're dismissed. Let's go right now. Cafe du Monde. We're taking a bus. There's a bus out there. Everybody get on the bus. King cake. So I believe it's safe to say that we know what good food is because it's a core part of our culture. And I have a confession. Is it okay to have confession on, on a Tuesday night? Unique symbols and logos are given to every superhero in the DC and Marvel universe with Batman being the greatest superhero of all. Anybody agree with that? Superman, Captain America, Thor, on the count of three, holler your favorite superhero. One, two, three. Some of you ain't even know. You said Pastor Josh. Super, you being safe, it's okay. Counselor Ricky going to get you. You better be safe. But they've got logos and symbols. Well, I've, I've got a logo as well. This symbol cheers me up when I'm discouraged. It motivates me when I need motivation. Are you ready? I love that chicken. Anybody feel the Holy Spirit just move? It just swept from, and then you say it again. I love that chicken from Popeye's, and it just sweeps. It moves. I'm telling you, you say, you say Popeye's, God gets happy. When you get to heaven, Popeye's, where do you think they get that recipe from? An angel dropped down from heaven and said, here it is right here, extra spicy. I love Popeye's. And, and up north, they can have KFC if they want to, but down south, we do Popeye's. And if you do KFC, it's all right. You're going to repent tonight, and Popeye's is going to be in your destiny tomorrow. Matter of fact, if you get a date at this camp, the first place you should take them is Popeye's. It's the first place you should take them. But here's the question I want to ask you. Did God create me with a taste for Popeye's? Or did I choose to satisfy my appetite through the influence of culture? And the truth is this, I allow culture to set the table as I develop the appetite. It was my choice.
And I didn't come to you on a Tuesday night to preach on Louisiana culture of food. But I'm here to issue a warning that the culture of this world is trying to determine the table you sit at and fill your appetites with. God has designed every one of us with appetites and desires. And it's more than just food. Some of you, some of you want to feel secure. You want to feel loved. Or, or you want to be respected or cherished or accepted. You want to feel successful. The list goes on and on. God built us this way. But those desires were meant to be satisfied at his table. And those desires to feel accepted and wanted and loved really can only be filled at the table of the king and not at the table of culture of this world. Never satisfied. Psalmist said this, as the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. That's where I want to be in my life. I want to be at a place where I can't go a day without sitting at the table and talking to God. I don't want there to go a day. I don't want there to be a day that goes by that I can't sit at the table and say, okay, God, I'm feeling empty today. I need to feel your presence and your anointing. I need to hear your calling. Because young people, we in this generation, everybody's preaching anointing, anointing, anointing. What about relationship? What about not, not, I had a guy gave me a word one time and it changed my life. He said, what you do in the dark will be manifested when the lights come on. Little did I know that three years ago I would have stood in this pulpit and preached Eagle Heights camp. Can I tell you, God anointed me and had a birthright and had destiny for my life. But if I wouldn't have chose the right table, I wouldn't have been able to preach to you three years. I don't care how anointed you want to be, you better get the table right because the adversary wants your desires and your appetites. He wants you to fall in love. The adversary wants you to fall in love with somebody that doesn't love God. And you get all your acceptance from them. And you get, you get all your value from them. And then they walk out on you. And guess what? You're left with nothing. It's deep calling on the deep. The, the created desiring the creator. Paul said this. The desire of my heart is to know him. Is that the desire of anybody's heart? We were built for his table and nothing else will ever satisfy. Before Jesus was crucified, you know what he did? He dealt with the table. The Last Supper, he told his disciples, he said, look, here's my body. This bread is my body. Here's my blood. If you have me, that's all you need to fill your appetite. Because when law, and this is what I love. Anybody knows what he did with the bread? He blessed it and he broke it. And this is what I've learned. We've been going through a little situation with my son the last month. And this is what I've learned. You can be blessed and broken at this table. But at this table, all you ever are is broken. I can sit at this table and go through the deepest valley I've ever been through in my life and have a peace that surpasses and transcends all understanding as long as I'm at this table. But if I'm sitting at this table and a valley comes and situations happen and that person doesn't like me anymore and they don't want to be around me, then I'm just broken at this table. But when I pull up a seat at the king's table, can I get an amen in the house? Because listen, this is what he said. He said, I stand at the door and knock, and if anybody will open, I will come and sup with them and spend time with them and nurture them. Everything we need, tap your neighbor, say, everything we need is in him. Everything, it's his glorious riches, it's in him. All things must be maintained and sustained by where they come from. The minute a plant decides it doesn't like the earth anymore, it dies. The minute a fish decides, you know what, I don't want to live in the water no more. I want to go live on land. You got 30 seconds, fish, to get back in that water. 
You ain't going to make it because you wasn't built that way. The minute you take them, the minute you take them from where they were designed to live, they die. How many young people are trying to live for God, but they're trying to live for God outside of the presence of God? The source of the creation also becomes then the essence of that creation. All things are composed of whatever they came from and hence contain the potential of that source. Nothing outside the source of our creator will ever suffice. It's in him, young person, that we live and that we move and that we have our being. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. That's what C.S. Lewis said. I want you to tap your neighbor one more time. I want you to tell him I was made for more. I was made for more. And this is what gets me. I guarantee you if you talk to your daddy, if you talk to Pastor Dunn, he would say people has left Eagle Heights and said I'm not getting fed. People leave Little River and say, I'm not getting fed. People live, leave New Beginnings Outreach and they say, I'm just not getting fed. You know why you're not getting fed? It's not because of the message that's being preached on Sunday. It's because you starve in Monday through Saturday because you haven't been to the table in a while. <laughs> and if you starve yourself, you hear me, young person. I want you to hear me for a second. If you starve yourself and you neglect this table, you'll fill up on any kind of... A wise man once told me, he said, don't go grocery shopping when you're fasting. Because you'll, you'll put anything in the buggy. You're starving. I also heard the other day that uh, I heard of a kid who was living in poor conditions, and when they rescued him out of those poor conditions, he was being starved. They found gravel in his stomach. Because when you starve yourself, your appetite is so powerful that you'll try to fill it up with video games and movies and all social media that you, if they like my photo, then I'm going to feel good today. I'm going to post this, hashtag unicorn, hashtag whatever filter they got. And if that person likes it, then I'm going to be good. When are you going to stop valuing yourself by what those people say and start valuing yourself by what the king has said about you? Because he said you're powerful and you're mighty and there, there's callings on your life, but your appetite. Esau took the temporary pleasure offered to him by his twin brother Jacob to satisfy his hunger for a bowl of stew. In doing so, he forfeited his future inheritance. He chose the now. I want you to write this down. He chose the now instead of what was promised to come. When you don't sit at the king's table daily, he chose the now instead of what was promised to come. We'll end up forfeiting what we want more for what we want now when we neglect the table on a daily basis. How many of you one day want a godly family? How many of you one day want a godly marriage? You ought to be raising your hand up high. You want a godly wife or husband. Well, here it is. Are you ready? If you keep looking at those images you shouldn't be looking at or you get involved in an explicit relationship maybe you shouldn't be involved in, you may forfeit that marriage. You want to be a preacher. Anybody want to be a preacher one day? Boy, somebody said, nah, I ain't, I, ain't do it. I ain't doing what you're doing. What about a Sunday school teacher? Kids worker? Good Christian? Boy, Boy y'all in a bind. The future kids. Singer? Soul winner? <laughs> Janitor? How many just wants to do something for God? But here it is. Are you ready? If you want to do something for God, don't allow a moment at this table to take away from everything he has for you at this table.
And the enemy isn't after our public platforms, but our private devotion. He wants to choose the table we sit at. Here it is. The serpent didn't attack the authority of Adam and Eve. He didn't attack their creative purpose. He didn't attack their theology. He went after their appetite. That's his job. If he can get us to dabble or just try a free sample. Anybody ever been to Sam's grocery store and they was <laughs> they had that they had the free samples with the toothpick. Eat one of these. How many knows they're not going to let you sit there and eat 40 of them? If they got filet mignon, they're not going to let you sit there and eat 40 till you get a whole filet. You know what they're going to do? They're going to say, here, we want you to try this. And you're going to go back for seconds, and that lady going to slap your hand. It happened to me twice. Still, boy, put your hand up. I'm, I'm telling you, I may catch you with an elbow. I still got flashbacks. But they're not, you know what they're trying to do? They want you to taste the product so you'll buy the product. That's what he told Eve. He said, just taste of the tree. I know God told you don't try it. I know he told you to leave it alone. But you know what he told Eve? What God told you, he lied to you. That's what he did. He lied to you. He lied because he knows when you eat of this, this fruit, your eyes will be open. He doesn't want that. He doesn't want the, what's best for you. He doesn't want you to have fun, Eve. He doesn't, he doesn't want you to enjoy your, your teenage years. He doesn't want you to enjoy life to the fullest because he knows that once you eat of this fruit, Eve, Knowledge. Once you eat of this, this fruit of good and evil, you'll be just like him, and that's not going to happen. He's too jealous to allow you to do that. He wants to keep you under his thumb. He wants to control you, Eve. Come on, girl. Do you really want to live your life controlled by an uncaring, spiteful, selfish God like that? Are you serious, Eve? Throw off those shackles of do's and don'ts. Stop guarding your God-given purpose. Do what you want to do. Quit trying to do right, live life to the fullest. You deserve better. You know what Eve does? She thinks about it, and she looks at the tree. She shouldn't have looked at the tree. She should have left the tree alone. And then she begins to look at the tree. Her curiosity all of a sudden turns into interest. A discussion now turns into a decision, and Eve flirts with what she was commanded to disregard. And the Bible says, when the woman saw the tree was good for food, she took and she ate. What made it good for food? Because if you stare at something long enough, you'll rationalize within yourself that it's okay. But let me ask you this. What did the Word of God say about that table? And it says, now this is what got me. It says that her eyes was open. Everybody open your eyes real big. It said her eyes was open. Now, I, I'm, I'm not a Bible scholar. I'm not a theologian. But when he created Adam and Eve, couldn't they see? The Bible doesn't say they was walking around blind. The Bible didn't say that they was walking in the trees. Oh, I can't see nothing. Oh, I'm blindfolded or I can't see. But it says when they ate of this tree, their eyes was open. And God quickened me the other day. I said, God, they could already see. He said, no, you don't understand. It wasn't their physical eyes. It was their appetites were open. And now they would crave something and desire something that they were never meant to desire. And you know what the devil will tell you, young person? You can delete the history when you're done. Clear the cache. Your leadership and spiritual authority will never find out. It won't hurt you. You deserve this moment. And besides, everyone is doing it. Culture says it's okay. Here's your table. There'll be no shame. There'll be no guilt. There'll be no consequences. It won't affect your future. But you hear me, young person, and you can write this down. Every decision you make carries a consequence or it carries a blessing. And I don't want to live with constant consequences. I wish a preacher would have stood up here when I was 12 and 13 and 14 years old and said, you know what? Pick the right tables uh, because you'll reap everything you sow. 
I wish somebody would have told me, hey, you got a calling on your life and God's going to use you. But if you choose this table, there's going to be some things that you got to carry with you that, that's going to try to creep up and pull you from that table more, later on in your life. I wish somebody would have told me that I had to control my appetite and that I needed to. Is it still okay to say we need to pray every day? Can I say it again? Is it still okay to say we need to pray every day? Is it still okay to say we need the bread of life every day, not just on Sunday, not just at youth camp, but when we get home, I need to open up the Word of God. So Adam and Eve, you know what they did? They ate of this fruit and they hid. They hid from the very presence they were supposed to enjoy. They didn't even love the presence of God no more. God comes walking in the garden, Adam, where are you? And Adam's like, man, I'm hiding out. I messed up. I made a mistake. And they're hiding from the very presence. Now, why? Was there not any other options? Was there not another menu? No. The Bible says God gave them plenty of trees. I wish I knew a bunch of fruit trees. I don't even know what grows on a fruit tree. Apple? They had apple orchards all across the Bananas, mangoes. Hope this ain't going on YouTube because I, I don't know my fruit trees. The Bible says there was all kind of trees. And they bypassed all those trees and chose this one. Now, I know, I know what you're saying. I know, I, know what you, I know what you're telling me. The devil made them do it. Nah, because last time I checked, I've got power over the devil, and he can't make me do anything I don't want to do. Is there any people that feel a fight in you that says, you know what, I'm not going to allow the adversary to push me around. I'm not going to allow him to pick the items on the menu because here it is. Are you ready? This is grown-up preaching. They picked the wrong item on the menu because they chose to do so. So what I need you to understand on this Tuesday night, and I won't be much longer, it's our decision. Write that down. It's my decision. It's not Pastor Josh's. It's not Pastor Dunn's. It's not your mom and your daddy's. It's not anybody else, your grandma. It's not anybody else's decision. It's your decision what table you sit at. Peer pressure can't make you sit at this table. Culture can't make you sit at this table. The devil can't make you sit at this table. Your leaders can't make you sit at this table. I've got to choose. I want to sit at the table of God, and I want everything that he has for me. Why are you preaching this way? Because I'm tired of young people blaming everybody else for their own decisions. we got to stop making excuses and blaming everyone around you. It's your choice. You can choose to sit at the table of the king every day, or you can choose to sit at the table of Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, Netflix, YouTube, Hulu, sports, academics, and relationships. And none of that's bad. It's okay to have those things in your life. But when you constantly neglect this table to find acceptance and all those other things, it will mess you up. I'm not against anything, but I am against overconsumption because I believe it leaves us malnourished. I read a story one time, and it was about this guy in the 14th century. It's the land we now call Belgium. There was a duke by the name of Renald III. Renald was overweight extremely overweight. Now, it seems that Renaud had a violent quarrel with his younger brother, Edward. And Edward became so angry, he led a successful revolt against him. But Edward did not kill Renaud. Instead, he built a room around him. He built a room around him. Look at your neighbor and tell them, he built a room around Renaud. And you know what he did? While he built that room around Renaud, he gave him one standard-sized door to get out of. And every day, he sent room service up to Renaud's room, and they knocked on the door. He said, Renaud, got your favorite pancakes from IHOP. 
We got you your favorite burger from Burger King. We got you a milkshake on the side, extra large fry. We're going to McDonald's tomorrow. We may go to Chili's, get you some ribs. Every day, housekeeping knocked on his door and said, hey, this is from your brother. This is from your brother. And they, they fed, they fed Renault, and Renault got bigger and bigger and bigger. This is a true story. In order for Renault to really gain his freedom, he had to lose weight. But Edward knew his older brother, and each day he sent a variety of delicious foods. Instead of dieting his way out of prison, Renault just kept growing fatter and eating and eating and eating. And they asked Duke, Duke Edward, they said, they, they accused him of cruelty and said, why, why have you locked your brother in there? Why have you made him a prisoner? And, and you know what Edward said? He said, my brother is not a prisoner. He can leave whenever he wants to. For 10 years, Renault stayed in that room. When he finally got out after Edward died in battle, his health was so bad, he died not long after that. And the story goes that he was a prisoner of his own appetite. Seeing a lot of people depressed and discouraged, feeling like walls are closing in on them. You know why? It's because they're a prisoner of their own appetite. Solomon received 666 talents of gold each year as a base income. You know how much that is today? $1.5 billion a year. Who can live off $1.5 billion a year? Give me the tithing off that, and I'm good. Like, I'm setting up retirement. You know, I'm, I'm going to the Florida Keys. Like, I'm out. I'm traveling on one point. And you know what Solomon said, the wisest man that they say ever wrote the Bible? I don't, I don't think he was the wisest man. Can I be honest? Can I go against theology? This dude made some bad mistakes. He was making $1.5 billion, and this is what he said. He said, whatever my eyes wanted, I got. I didn't keep anything from him. He said, any kind of pleasure that I wanted, he said, it was mine. He had unlimited resources, power, and respect, excitement, and pleasure. But you know what Solomon said? He said, when I considered all that my hands can do or buy, everything I spent money on, it was all vanity in the wind, striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Guess what else he said? He didn't stop there. Solomon, $1.5 billion a year, a guy with unlimited relationships, all this he had, and you know what he said? He said, I hated life. I hated life. Solomon didn't just say he lacked in some area, but he said he hated life. That's because nothing in this life, young person, hear me, nothing in this life will ever satisfy what you were built for. You were built for the kingdom of God. You were built for the purpose of God. I don't care if you go play in the NBA. I don't care what you do in life. You can do that and accomplish that, but make sure you got a place at the king's table every day to tell him, I want to be plugged into you. You can go and become as famous as you want to be, but you hear me, you're going to remember on a Tuesday night, if you neglect this table, you'll never feel satisfied in your life. You'll feel empty and void. And we need some young people. We need some young people to get self-awareness of instant gratification, and we need to start practicing self-control. Just like Daniel did. Daniel said, you know what? They took him into Babylon, and they wanted to choose his table. He was to be taught the language and literature of the Babylonians, and they even assigned him a daily amount of food and wine from the king of Babylon's table. They said, here it is, Daniel. Here's the table. Everything you need is at this table. But Daniel said, time out. I'm not from Babylon, and I don't want this table from Babylon. So Daniel said, let me challenge you. He said, this is what we're going to do. He said, after 10 days, I'm going to sit at this table, and you take all your followers, and you sit them at this table. And after 10 days, whoever looks the healthiest 
is going to decide. If 10 days, if it doesn't work, I'll sit at your table. But for 10 days, it says that, that he went to his home, to his upstairs room, and he opened the windows towards Jerusalem, and he sat at the table, and he prayed. Three times a day, he sat at the king's table. And at the end of 10 days, guess what? Daniel looked healthier than any of those eating from the table of ba Babylon. The Bible says there was a glow about Daniel. You know why? Because he was sitting at the table of the one that created him and gave him calling and gave him power. I refuse to sit at the table of Babylon. I refuse to just feed my appetite with junk. I was built for this table. I was built for this table. And listen, when they threw, anybody know they threw Daniel in the lion's den? Guess what? The lion was on a Babylonian diet. He's like, Daniel, you, you don't smell like a Babylonian. You don't, you don't smell like any of that. He said, I can't fool with you, Daniel, because you smell like you've been at the king's table. And I can't, I can't feed my appetite with anybody that's been at the king's table. I've come to remind some young people on this Tuesday night, you are somebody. You are valuable. There is a birthright on your life. There is a destiny on your life. And there's a king on the inside of you because God has divine purpose in your life. I know what some of you are saying. Well, you can easy to say that because your mom and daddy went to church. No, I went to church by myself. Nobody took me to church. And I had, I had an encounter at a youth service with the king's table. And everything I try to do, I love basketball. I still love basketball. I will break your ankles right now. And that's a lie because I'm about 100 pounds heavier than I was in high school. But I'll shoot your eyes out. I will shoot. I don't care who's on my team. Hey, put LeBron James on my team. He passed me the ball. Shoop. I love basketball, but there was something I quickly realized, that I can love the game of basketball, but my true value is found at this table. And I couldn't get away from it. I remember my friends would pull me and say, hey, man, come here. Come be a part of this. And I made some mistakes. I was childish. I was going to church by myself. But I learned something about the king's table. I learned that when God looks for somebody to use, he's not looking for somebody that's grouped up at this table with everybody else doing what everybody else is doing, armed, literally closed in because everybody wants to sit at this table and they want to enjoy the pleasures of this world. He's looking for that one individual that says, I don't belong at that table. I belong. If I got to sit here by myself, at school, if I've got to sit here and talk to him, if I've got to be called the one, you know what, that's the holy roller, that's the one that loves God, I'll do it because this table is important in my life. And if you don't believe it, look at David. When God sent Samuel to the home of Jesse, and I'm musicians, you can get ready. They sent Samuel to the home of Jesse, all these seven sons. When the prophet got there, they brought these seven sons. He was looking for a king, and they twirled out before Samuel. From the greatest to the least. Finally, after Jesse had paraded all of his sons in front of Samuel, Samuel said, I'm sorry, none of these seven. I'm talking about seven. Just hold on one second before you start playing. I'll give you the key in just one second. Seven. Grab me seven of them chairs real quick. Seven. That man has eight kids. Seven of them is at the table. Look how tight this is getting. Seven of them he took before, that, before Samuel and said, look, this is my boy. This has got to be him. And Samuel said, man, he looks good. He's well fed, cornbread fed, looks good. Looks like he's been eating ribeye and pork chops. He looks good. God said, no, that's not him. You can't look at the outward. He said, okay, well, maybe this, uh, no, that's, that's not him, God said. You got to stop looking at the outward appearance. I've got one that's been at my table when nobody else would. These seven haven't been to my table. And I need a king. 
He says, I got one more. Samuel didn't even qualify, David. He said, I got one more. But he's in the field. He probably don't smell right. Been fooling with them sheep out there. He's been taking care of, been nurturing them. He probably smells like sheep. He's been in the field, and 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 and, and I, I just don't know. And and I just don't know if he can do anything. Jesse told Samuel. Samuel said, "I've got to see him." And I can see Jesse saying, "He's just a little runt. He don't amount to nothing. He's a pipsqueak." And is that word still relevant today? Pipsqueak. Tap your neighbor. Say you a pipsqueak. You been waiting to say that all the time. Here we go. While everyone else was after a crown, David was after a table. A harp. We don't even play harps no more. Play pianos, play guitars, bass and drum. We don't even play harps. But this cat's out there in the field with a harp sitting at the table. Just the sheep around. Me, me, my, mo, you. Singing his heart came searching for me. What was that song you sang? Hit, hit, hit a chord for me. His heart comes searching for me. Your heart won't stop. He's out there playing his harp singing. You, you didn't even know David wrote that song. Your heart won't stop searching for me. I know my seven brothers over there, and they just stay. That, that's not them, God, but I'm out here, and I got a table, and I'm playing my harp, and I'm singing to a bunch of sheep. I'm reading my Bible when nobody else is around. I remember crying myself to sleep as a young person, laying on my pillow and just crying myself to sleep because I didn't know what God wanted to do in my life, but I knew he wanted to do something. That old prophet said, I got to look at him. I got to see if this is the man. So they called David. And when David gets ready, when David walks up and Samuel sees him, he's got that horn of oil. He starts turning, getting the, getting the lid off that horn of oil. He said, God, this is the one. And that's why David could see, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. This is why David could write, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. That's why David could write, you, you, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil because David knew how important the table was. And, and Samuel said, this is the boy. This is the one that's been out there taking care of the sheep, but he's had a table this whole time. Aren't you glad that God sees things in your life that nobody else sees? God sees destiny when everybody else says you're an outcast. I remember me and my wife were dating. and we're, we're, we're not that old now. We've been married 15 years. And I can remember we were dating. And I had issues. Man, I had OCD issues. Anybody know what OCD is? Like if I walked into a room one way, I had to walk out of a room the same way. Everything was even number. Like if I wiped my left foot, tapped it twice, I had to tap my right foot twice. And if I spun in a circle this way, I, I mean, I was messed up. Thank God she wasn't OCD because she was like, that's ignorant. You need to stop. Don't do that anymore. We can go out of the room the same, a different way than we come in. The world's not going to collapse. Everything's good. And I'm like, okay. And I still struggle with that a little bit. But, man, I made some bonehead decisions. I, I, we were dating at 16, and, and, and I didn't know if I wanted to live for God sometimes. Sometimes I did. But I remember I'm trying to do the best that I can do, and people would come up and tell her, you're a rose. He's just a rose petal. Like, have you, have you seen me? I'm not a rose petal. They would tell her, look, if you marry him, it's going to be the biggest decision you've ever made in your life. Leave him alone. But what they didn't know is why everybody else was sitting at that table. I was trying to get my stuff together. I was like David. I had a harp. 
And when nobody else was looking, I was in my bedroom. Mom and daddy didn't go to church. Nobody else went to church, and I had amazing parents. But I was in my bedroom saying, God, I don't know what you're doing in my life, but you're doing something. God, I don't know what I feel, but there's a calling on my life. And when nobody else, when everybody else wanted platforms and, and to do everything else, they wanted to sing. I just wanted to be something for God. I didn't care if it was cleaning the church house. I didn't care if it was serving the man of God. I just wanted to do something for the kingdom of God. And what's amazing is on every one of your lives, there's a birthright and there's a calling and there's a purpose. So I close with this today as they start playing softly. Who sells a birthright for a bowl of stew? Who sells a birthright? Who sells a double portion of God's anointing for a bowl of stew? Who sells the promises of Abraham and Isaac for a bowl of stew? Who does? I know Jacob and Esau is different. I know Jacob likes Star Wars and Xbox and cooking and cleaning. I know, I know Esau liked rodeos and Garth Brooks and Luke Bryan and Taming Wild Horses. I know they're different. I, I know Isaac loves Esau, and I know Rebecca loves Jacob. But God loves both of them because he allowed Esau to be born first. The Bible says that Esau became a skillful hunter, but he comes in one day, he didn't kill anything because you can become as skillful as you want and miss out on what God really has for you. I don't care how good you can sing or play the keyboard. If we don't have a table, we'll miss out on what God really has for us. So he comes in famished. Jacob's cooking this famous red pottage that was, it won the local fair cook-off the year before. And Esau says, I'm starving, man. I got too hungry. I'm starving. I'm about to die. If I don't get some of that red pottage, I'm going to die. Isn't that what happens when we try to fill up on this table? Our emotions are exaggerated and we settle for things we usually wouldn't think twice about. And the enemy wants to make us, make a deal with us. Sell the temporary for the eternal. Sell out the temporary for the eternal. Give me, give me temporary pleasure for eternal blessings. A temporary high is not worth the everlasting low it brings. And I can't tell you how many callings I've seen forfeited because a young person didn't have a table. They just sat over here and fed their appetite with junk and things that really didn't matter, and they missed out on the eternal. I can't tell you what it's like to get a phone call and say, hey, pastor, can you get over here as soon as possible? So-and-so just had a drug overdose. What? The person was in my youth group when I was their youth pastor? The person that had anointing on their life and calling on their life now it, it had a drug overdose? What happened? The table. So as we stand, and I close with this. Esau, you hear me today. Because I'm speaking to Jacob, and I'm speaking to Esau. I know you're famished, but I've got to tell you something. Esau, one day you're going to have children. You're going to have 12 sons, Esau, and these sons are going to have large families. And Esau, don't sell your birthright because these families are going to become a great nation. They'll make some bad decisions and go into slavery for 400 years, and they're going to cry out to God. Hear me, young person. And God is going to raise up a deliverer named Moses. But you know how God's going to reveal himself to Moses? I'm the God of Abraham of Isaac, and of Esau. Now, we know that didn't happen, but you know why it didn't happen? Because of one temporary moment where he didn't satisfy his appetite with the king's table. Now, Esau, I know you're hungry, dude. I know you're starving. But if you make this decision, 
and you take this stew, all of that changes. You think you're jealous of Jacob now. If you make this decision, you're going to hate him and want to kill him for the rest of your life. Esau, you got to go with me. 2,000 years from this day, Esau, God is going to do something even more significant. God's going to send his son into the world. Anybody know who, what that son's name is? Jesus Christ. And he's going to be from your lineage, Esau. His name is going to be Jesus, and he's going to be a, the Savior of the whole world. He's going to bring a birthright to all of humanity. He's going to gather some people around him, and he's going to pick some followers named Matthew. And God is going to write the story of Jesus, and this is going to be a bestseller, Esau. Hear me for a moment. If I could tell Esau, if I can go back, I would tell him it's going to be a bestseller. It's going to be translated in every language imaginable. It's going to be a book called Matthew, and here's how it's going to start. Here's how he's going to start his book, Esau. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. Esau, I know you're starving and I know you're hungry, but do you want to sell your lineage uh, that Jesus Christ is going to come out of for a bowl of stew? Do you really want to sell your birthright, Esau? You're the firstborn. You have an anointing on your life. Do you really? Do you really? But it gets even sadder. Because when Jesus is born, there's this king called Herod. He's angry, and he's sent forth to kill all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coasts thereof from two years old and under. King Herod the Great was, guess what, a descendant of Esau. The king that wanted to kill Jesus was a descendant of Esau. Herod was an Edomite that had adopted the custom of the Jews. So not only Esau did you give up the lineage of Jesus Christ, not only did you give up your place, not only did you give up your identity, not only did you give all that up, now your great, 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 great ancestor is going to want to kill the Messiah. You know why? Because Esau hated the table that he despised. And I close with this scripture because I want you to see a young person, and I want you to remember it, Hebrews 12. And I'm going to read it off the screen. My boy, all he did was sell his birthright. And listen to what it says. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. But watch, this is what rips my heart out. For you know how afterwards, when he would have inherited the blessing, he would have inherited the lineage of the Messiah. He would have been identified with, with Abraham and Isaac and Esau. Not only did he miss out on all of that, but watch this. He was rejected. And he went to youth camps, and he went to services, and he begged for mercy. He sought it diligently with tears, but he never found it. I can't go back and help Esau tonight, and I wish I could. But I can stand at Engage Youth Camp on a Tuesday night and tell 90 students, please don't sell your destiny for a temporary moment. You hear me as I prophesy and speak over you. It's not the will of God for you to grow up and be a drug addict, an alcoholic, divorced multiple times, always depressed, suicidal. You have an opportunity that Esau doesn't have tonight. You have an opportunity to say, I'm going to spend every day. I'm going to spend every day at the king's. I don't want to be like Esau. Make me like Jacob. The prince with God. The one whose name did mean deceiver and supplanter is now in the lineage of the Messiah. It's not Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. It's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God quickened me as I got ready. I almost changed my message for tonight, but God told me to tell you, if you're going to engage your destiny, 
you first got to determine your table. And I don't know, young person, as they get ready to sing softly, I don't know what God wants to do in your life. I'm not God. I don't know why God built you and created you. I don't know what's in your future, but I can make you a promise. If you make this table a priority, the blessings of God is going to rain on your life. And there'll be ups and downs, but there's going to be a peace that you can never you can never understand, but you know God's got me. Because when you get to the source and you have the table, God puts blessings and anointing. And I feel God quickening me right now. There's some Davids that you don't even know what God's going to do in your life, but you've been feeling a calling and a longing. And God is just saying, you got to get your table right. you got to get your table right. you got to get your table right. Because what I want to do in your life is bigger than you. On a Thursday night in June, I stood before 4,000 people and delivered a message. Now, I know what some of you may say, How, why is that a big deal? It's a big deal because God took a little young boy from Albany, Louisiana, who didn't know what God wanted to do in his life. He just knew that God had something, and he set a table, and I followed it. Guess what? I'm as blessed as I've ever been. I've got ups and downs just like anybody else, but that table has sustained me, and it has kept me. Young person, God's going to do something great in your life. How many believe that? God's going to do something great in your life.